a blessed and a wonderful Christmas as we celebrate this gift, this wondrous gift of the child Jesus being with us and saving us. So every year we notice the world's preparation for Christmas. Don't get me wrong, I love the lights, and I think in certain roads there's no more speed limits because everybody slows down to look at that house and look at this house, and I think it's wonderful. It's a beautiful distraction from everyday life. Many people, it's their favorite time of the year. This is where sometime months ago they start working on gifts and gatherings, setting up multiple manger scenes in their homes. In some cases they've become cities, towns, and first century metropolises in people's homes. We have to look at these as distractions. Uh, for the real meaning of Christmas. Today I want to switch it up a bit. I uh, wonder if for some people if Jesus is a distraction for all the celebrations that we're doing, uh, both in a good way and in a bad way. And here's what I mean. I go back to the question, is Jesus a distraction? See, Jesus represents something deeper. He represents eternal life. He comes to save us from sin and death. And for many it's great, but for many of us it also scares us. Because I'm afraid of that world. I'm stuck in this world. Surely many of us pray for heaven. I want to go to heaven. I want, but not now. I'm not ready to leave. I don't know when I'll ever be ready to leave. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to leave everything behind. I don't know how to leave my family things that I own, whatever. These have become sacred to me, and sometimes even more than Jesus himself and what he represents. So for many of us, he's a distraction from the everyday life. Not only is he a distraction this year, he's, he's also a burden. Um, we got to go to Sunday Mass and Christmas. Sunday Mass doesn't count for Christmas, for some of us, Jesus has become not only a distraction, but also a burden. And it's a burden that sometimes I have a hard time carrying. Interestingly enough, this is what somehow the people were dealing with 2,000 years ago. See, we're busy with our lives, and that's a lot of times what causes us to think this way. And boy, were the people 2,000 years ago during the birth of Jesus, boy, they busy. See, they were in a hustle and bustle. And here's the problem. When Caesar Augustus called for an enrollment, people had to leave their everyday life and their work and whatever, got to go to another town. It's not as easy as today. It takes a lot of preparations. People don't travel on their own. They have to travel in caravans because it's for safety reasons. So they have to go, okay, what city am I from? Oh, I'm from that city. Okay, now I got to go, and it's two days, three days, four days travel for some. Now, why do they do an enrollment? Two basic reasons. Taxes, yay. And to see how many men are able to serve in the army when needed. Oh, that's a double yay. So... They're angry, they're 
not happy, they're annoyed, on top of their busyness, now they got this other thing that they have to do, so they didn't have time for anything, including looking at a husband and wife, wife getting ready to give birth, and looking at her like, woman, I, I don't have time for you. It's even humanity was lost. Here's a woman getting ready to give birth, and they're basically saying, just go give birth in the street. We don't care. We have no room for you in the inn. But here's the interesting thing. And Pope Francis made a phenomenal meditation on this. He says that the gospel doesn't care about that. The gospel goes almost immediately, and he says, if we notice, just as soon as it talks about the busyness of the people, it shifts its gaze, this is the words of the Pope, to something else which it considers more important. All right, let's set it up and let's build it up. This is going to be the great sign of God himself coming to save us. He's going to be placed in a manger. Excuse me? Now, that's not a manger. That's a cave. Nowhere in the Bible says cave. It's cute, it's nice, it's beautiful, it's whatever. Where animals dwell is probably, they used to make a little room in the house because practically everybody had animals. What is a manger? It's a place where you place food for your donkeys and your cattle to eat. Oh, what a sign. You want to know a modern-day kind of a sign? And the sign will be given to you that the Savior is born and he will be placed in a salad bowl in the middle of your table. Even that sign is actually better. What's in, uh, how dirty is this thing? It's a feeding trough. It's probably got disgusting things like dried up saliva of the animals. That's the sign? Yeah. Um, doesn't sound that big. It's not, doesn't sound very significant. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible mentions it three times in today's gospel. First time, Mary places, after Mary gives birth, she places Jesus in the manger. Okay. Second time, and the angels tell the shepherds about a child wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a manger. That's the sign that the angels were telling the shepherds. And it wasn't said like, um, we're embarrassed to say this. Yeah, the Savior of the world is, <clears throat> he's, he's been placed in a manger. No, that's the sign that God wants to give the people, especially the shepherds. Then you go back and wonder, was Mary and Joseph in tune with the Holy Spirit so that Jesus will be placed. She gives birth, they clean him up, they wrap him up, and they place him in a manger. Keep him in your arms, woman. No. And this is a sign. And the third time, the shepherds, who finally find the place, they come out, and it says, and Luke says, and they find the child laying, laying in the manger. You see, this repetition of the gospel is on purpose. Pope Francis would meditate. 
God wants to say, in order to rediscover the meaning of Christmas, we need to look at the lowest place in the lowest place. Not only is it in the stable of animals where it's dirty and filthy, but in the middle of that is in the feeding trough. It's no longer just a human error. It points to Christ coming into this world, the Pope would say. It is how he announces his coming. It is the way that God is born in history so that history itself can be changed, can be reborn. He's not only placed in a feeding truck, but he's also born in a city called the House of Bread. So there's a feeding thing. You see, we've lost the meaning when we just worry about Pacha. And some of us are still feeling the after effects of Pacha. But here's where God has got a theme. House of bread, feeding trough. So what is God trying to say? I'm here. Even if you're not ready for me. See, that's the distraction of Jesus. Remember how I said earlier, some people look at Jesus as a distraction. You know, if the people back in Bethlehem were going to be told, hey, Jesus is going to come, or the Savior, the Messiah is going to come, like, we don't have time for him. Maybe some will come out and go, that means we don't pay taxes? I don't have to serve in the army? I don't have to die? No. See, Jesus is rich in mercy, and he takes our busyness. And he uses it against us, not in a bad way. Get this. We don't have time for God. God makes time for us. I'm too busy for God. God comes to me. I don't care about God. He cares about me. We care about the powerful and the famous. And yet God comes and reveals his birth to the lowliest of the lowliest, shepherds whose names we don't know, not even mention. We don't want to lose anything that belongs to us. God gave everything that belongs to him, to son. We were distant from him and too busy for him. He comes in the closest way possible. See, God isn't afraid to come close. Even when he's pushed away. And that's in our daily lives as well. You see, when God comes and is born amongst animals, look at it spiritually, placed in a feeding trough, maybe in our sinfulness we're spiritually animals. And God uses it as only God can use it. Now 2,000 years later, he's placed on an altar to feed us. We who are spiritually dirty and who may not have time and may look at Jesus as a burden and God as a distraction. 2,000 years ago, one person in the whole town gave an ounce. They gave something, a lowly, a dirty stable. God took it. God used it and now it's the sign of God's love for us. See, as a result of this, God reveals when we are sick and when we have and all we have to offer him is our sinfulness he comes when all we have to offer him is our betrayal 
We have no room for you in the inn. I have no room for you in my heart. I don't have time for you, God. This homily is going too long. I'm only halfway through. <laughs> Jesus still comes. When all we have to offer him is hatred and love of self, he still comes. When all we have to offer him is our faults, it's called confession. He still comes. There's nothing in us except for sin. I'm just dirty, filthy, and ugly. He still comes. The manger first symbolizes rejection and discomfort. Now the manger symbolizes God's continual gift of himself. There in that manger, Christ is born, and there we discover his closeness to us. He comes there to a feeding trough so that today he can come through this manger on the altar to feed you, then to make your hearts the manger, regardless of how dirty it is. Jesus is preparing today to feed us with his tender love and his presence. He comes to touch our hearts and to tell us that love alone is the power that changes the world and love seen in the simplest way possible. Today, through the Eucharist, Jesus says to you, I want to hold you, I want to love you, I want to be joined to you, I want to heal you, I want to be the closest place in you, even though we have nothing to offer him. He's got everything to offer us. Well, what now? We have a choice. Do we continue to reject? Do we continue to say, I have no room for you? Do we continue to say, I don't have time for this? I'm busy, and you're a distraction. And of all years, today you're a burden. Take time out of your hustle and bustle. Take time away from all the running around, especially today, especially when you're in between this house and that house. Give time to the Lord in the silence of your hearts. That's one. Two, sacrifice. Give of your own. Give to those that you see, the poor, those who are needy. Give to the one who you don't see. We see him in the Eucharist. Offer yourself back to him as you receive him today. Say, Lord, you still want to come to me. All right, I'll give you my heart. Help me. Help me to offer myself to you. And I have a hard time saying it. See, he offers himself to you again and again in the manger of the altar. Now the manger of your hearts, your inner manger. What will happen if this happens, if you do this? Change your life. You'll look at life different. Look at the shepherds and look at the rest of the Bethlehem. So we'll become like angels, giving praise to God. We'll become like shepherds that we know that he's present amongst us. We'll be like Mary and Joseph, who hold, behold Jesus and care for him. Then we realize he's not a distraction. He's a way of life. He's not a burden. What a joy. 
then we can hold and behold our life and our love. Then we can truly see how much God does things for me. What's the greatest way you can respond to that? Blessed be the name of Jesus. Both now and forever. Amen.